Hey folks, it's another Squiggly Film Club. Welcome, one and all. I'm Ben Mitchell. I'm joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello. Hello. And Steve Henderson. Hello. Hello. Are we all amped up for another film? Mmm. A fab film. We're watching Yellow Submarine, which beats a liar's autobiography, which, uh, yeah, which is a shame because I think liar's autobiography is a uh, pretty underrated film. It didn't really get out there much. Uh, and it's not getting out there any further because we're not doing it as the film club film. We're going to watch a 50-year-old film instead. Yeah, you know, hey, it was uh, it was worth a shout. We might uh, win in the loser-offs. The loser-offs. Yeah, we've got the grand loser-offs coming up in a couple of weeks, haven't we? So lots to look forward to there. Yes, indeed. Well, until then, uh, shall we crack on with The Yellow Submarine? Mmm. Beautiful. Okay. And three, three two, two, one. Play. Once, Once upon, upon a time. time. Or maybe twice. All right, shut up. There was an Uh We should uh, let Aaron know, I guess, that we've started. I have let him know. I have oh, I have told our, our very own uh, mariner, uh, Aaron Wood, who's on the chat room, uh, that we've pressed play. So we're watching along with, uh, with Aaron Wood, Squiggly's silent partner. Silent because he never appears on the podcast. Any particular reason, do you think, or is he just shy? Uh, he's, he's said in he said in the past he's appeared on the Annecy podcasts. Uh, you've had a couple of uh, years off Annecy, so he's appeared on the on the live podcasts and uh, told us what he thinks of the films. Yeah, but why doesn't he want to talk on this one? I don't know. We've not bullied him enough. I think that's why. Oh, actually, this was a film he did see. He hadn't seen. That's yeah, right. um, yeah. And so I believe we Laura's kind of... not seen it either. Yeah, that's not a rule. Uh, no, I, I had guy? thought that, that we would guy be able. Looks like he's made out of, like he has no skin. Uh, well, this is Laura's first exposure, I suppose. Oh my to goodness! It's going to be one of those podcasts where Laura just goes, "What's this? What's happening? Where am I? What's what's that now?" It's going to be heavy metal all over again. Are they children? <laughs> of a of a sort. Yeah. They look like so really old people. They look yeah. like, like like at least in their fifties. Well, you've got to understand this is the 1960s and everything was done through a drug-fueled haze. He looks, they not, look like not this film. <laughs> yeah. And all children look like old people because they've been working in mines and up chimneys and things. So, yeah. Are the Beatles actually in the film? Well, they mm. appear in the film, but they uh, the voices that you hear from the animated characters are not the Beatles. This uh, looks like Muzzy. Super mercy. Oh sure. It also looks a bit like Volvo from Spaced. Yes. Yeah. It's not finished. (laughs) finished. He sounds like him too, actually. No, you're blueness. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a David Williams vibe. Yeah. This is just Volvo. No, you're blueness. So yeah, you got this uh, yeah. this cast of crazy psychedelic evil characters. And these are the Blue Meanies, and they're about to attack Pepperland. Um, so yeah, it's an odd film, isn't it? Before we get started, <laughs> well, uh, you had very kindly forwarded on a subtitle file for the film with yeah. the uh, ident- or the message, so Laura, you know, will understand what's going on. <laughs> it's like knowing the dialogue is not going to help. <laughs> understanding what's going on. How long is this film? It's an hour and a half. 
they've really just started, haven't they? They've just gone like straight in with the action and everything. Like, there's no intro really. Well, I mean, this is the intro insofar as you know where where are the Beatles? Um, this is kind of the setup, I suppose, because we don't mm. spend what all our time style here. Is this? It's like art new Beatles. <laughs> this is psychedelia. But this is this is the art style of uh, Heinz Edelman, uh, who was a uh, a German illustrator that came over exclusively to work on the film. I mean, it's pretty much the element of the film that puts a time stamp on it. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of beginning. It's sort of the beginning and end of. It's got a bit of an Art Deco ness to it, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff at play, certainly. Um, do, you mean, do you mean Art Nouveau? Art Nouveau, sorry. Mm. With the uh, flowers, yeah, I can see that. And obviously, the the characters are dressed in sort of Edwardian garb, aren't they? They're, they're very uh, old timey. And the way that their eyes and all the line work sort of connects back together again. Mm. On the faces and stuff. Yeah, it, the film's a bit of a hodgepodge of uh, different, you know, clashing, especially when it comes to the 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 music sequences. There's lots of uh, different styles. There's little bits of rotoscope. There's bits of uh, collage. You know, you'll see a lot of different stuff going on. So was this like the Beatles' answer to being in films like David Bowie being in like Goodbye, like Merry Christmas with Lawrence and like Labyrinth and stuff? Was this like their alternative? Like we're not going to be actually in films. Well, they did a few films. This yeah. I think was maybe the third of mm. four, or am I just? It was that up the fourth. It was the th- well, it's the third feature, uh, theatrically released feature, because they actually did. Um, Sorry, I'm the world's biggest Beatles nerd. We have to know that at the start because I'm I'm going to be frothing at the mouth with with crap Beatles facts for everyone. So strap in. Well, that'll that'll help for a podcast <laughs> about a Beatles film. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they did um, Magical Mystery Tour, which was a t- TV special. So the first one they did was uh, A Hard Day's Night. Uh, then they did um, Help. Then they did a TV special called Magical Mystery Tour, which was terrible. Uh, but they were beholden to make three films i think um i can't remember the studio that they owed it to but they owed it to a studio to make three films and at this point the beatles were really popular and they'd stopped touring and they didn't want to get in front of the tv cameras anymore or any of that sort of stuff so they just said somebody said do you, do you want it to be animated and they went yeah for god's sake you just animate something <laughs> Um, and that's where Yellow Submarine comes from. Did they always play themselves in the films, or were they yes. characters? Okay, so that's not really acting, then, is it? Well, they were playing. Well, the, they played to yeah, bad scripts, so it was it was scripted. <laughs> but it was... You're just playing yourself. Is that acting? If it's scripted, yeah, like it's a, a fictionalized version of yourself. They no David Bowie. I'm just saying. What when it yeah, comes it... to being an actual actor? Uh, no, I don't believe they are. I believe he had much more of a career of um, uh, playing fictional characters for original films. It's a very literal response there, but um, <laughs> I agree with you. I don't they think... They opened uh, the door for David Bowie. <laughs> I thought they were holding hands for a moment then. Well, there's uh, a no, land of love. I don't like him. He's the one that looks like he's got his skin ripped off. Yeah. They just look like burn victims. I don't like them. Everyone's a bit sunburned. <laughs> they ran out yeah, of like, flesh-coloured crayons. 
to say it's under the sea, there's a lot of sun exposure in Pepperland. Uh, so, yeah, are you following the story? <laughs> no. no. Well, Pepperland is under attack. And um, people are have been turned... Are those two things the same things as before, but looking different? Uh, I, th- I think the rule is if it's blue, they're a wrong'un. Flush them down. <laughs> okay. In in spirit, sure. So hopefully they'll. Is um... he like a leprechaun? No, he's just greed. Okay. <laughs> he's the mayor of Pepperland. In the main temple. Hmm. Wait, want it? Apple films, as in like Apple, Apple. No. It's an Apple music. Uh, so Apple, like, makes Mac Apple. No, different no. company. Uh, that's disappointing. You know, Beatles Records, the labels all had a big Apple on them. Uh, how did that happen? Like, how did Apple not get sued? Uh, well, it got w- Joe Lysett on the case. Yeah. <laughs> Legally I think changed it was, it was his a- name to Apple and caused a big uproar. They could have picked any fruit, <laughs> pear basically an apple so steve why was apple music called apple it was a pun it was a hilarious pun because apple corpse as in corporation sounds like apple core like uh, as in i've just eaten an apple it's no Ardman. <laughs> indeed you so yeah you shouldn't be allowed to label things <laughs> wow, there's a, someone there's a lesson for life <laughs> no more labels let's just randomly generate it shall we uh, sure <laughs> wait what's happening now is it the end of the film yeah it's the end it was a very short film already? it's the opening credits Laura. why are they so long and why are they like the end of the film <laughs> You know, in the olden days, they, they would have the longer credits How at the old beginning. How film? It's 52 two years. It's oh an old God. film. I thought they stopped doing that in, like, the 40s, though. I, I don't know. When did they stop doing that stuff? <laughs> I, do, I don't know. Don't keep coming to me when you want, it, when you want an out, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing's uh, happening. Like, normally immediately they after this film. happening. Yeah, it's, it's going to find. They're going to find the, the Beatles. Look at that submarine on the move. It's going out at full pelt. Really what more do you want? This would have been such a good animation scene to do. I'm going to move this ship around. <laughs> and my job's done. I hope this took someone like a day. Uh, and they charge yeah. for a week. <laughs> uh, oh wait, oh. these are alternative ones. Yes, different coloured submarines, but we are following the yellow submarine. Maybe one day we'll. You what now? We had a yellow submarine. Okay. In my hometown. What what happened on it? It was in the Sea Life Centre. Was it in the town where you were born? Neat. (laughs) (laughs) That's my one fact. Did did anything uh, happen around it, or was it just there? You could climb on it. (laughs) Oh, that's lazy. Is that just a film of the sun? Well, no, actually, back then, this was not that lazy. My dad knew the woman who did this shot, and it drove her absolutely nuts, because that kind of matter fact, back when they made this type of film, very bizarre parallaxing, which I think was part of the the responsibility she had to do. 
Um, like it was all analog, so it was oh, a massive yeah, okay. pain in the tank. Nothing's lazy in that era. <laughs> Pretty much. took five times longer. Well, this sequence is now a pretty good example. Because this is a very kind... This sets up, I think, a lot of uh, things that are pretty this well established in MoGraph. And, um, you know, you yeah. could put together a scene like this pretty simply. Now, I mean, this is a bit like the thing you're working on. I know, I just realised this. I've never watched this film, but I'm making a film very similar to this now. So if you had to make the film you're making now, but actually with I cutouts. I should have just referenced this. I've been sending them all sorts of random references. I should have just gone, Yellow Submarine. Yeah. This is good. We, we're boosting your references as we go. This is a, it's quite a, a, a good sequence. This. It's a great song. Uh, it's one of the best Beatles songs, uh, but um, song? all the people, uh, Eleanor Rigby, um, oh, all like the them. characters that you see, uh, they're actually the part of the film. Um, so the first person that you saw with the pipe was um, uh, <laughs> Al Brodax. I like this one. He's like really like, whoa, they're all at the party deck. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you see a lot of um, a lot of kind of the, the producers and designers and um, Alison Devere uh, is in this. She's she plays a woman holding the uh, goldfish pole, Annecy Award winner in previous years. But yeah, right on. Whee. This looks like Lancaster. It's, uh, it's Liverpool. Liverpool. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is for this of Lancaster. Merseyside. Uh, Aaron sent us a little message. He says, I don't know how you guys are doing this without the audio. You've got to have the songs. He's not wrong. <laughs> it's just a weird... <laughs> as Laura's discovering, it's just a weird collection of images without the music. Uh, <laughs> is this George or Ringo? Ringo. It's the man without a drum set. With wiggly feet. Remember the first time I saw this film, I would have been around nine years old, I think. And uh, it was a hard film to come by. Like, in England, it was there was nowhere that like had it to rent or anything. And I don't think it was sort of available on home video for a while, or maybe it was just sort of scarce. It was eventually reissued. Um, they did, like, a remaster in the sort of late 90s. But in the early 90s, I remembered... Tr like tracking it down in a little video rental store in Morin Heights, um, just sort of in the in the Laurentian. Morin Heights is going to become this like place that people feel like they need to go to a pilgrimage of f if they're fans of Squiggly, because every film we've mentioned, I feel that's a bit like hard to find. You found in Lauren Heights. Well, that, there was this great, it was one of those great little video stores that had all sorts of obscure stuff, and they never really, I think, got enough, like, traffic in where they felt the need to get rid of the old stuff, so you would find some great obscurities and things. Um, and sort of, yeah, in the kind of early 90s, this film would have been considered, I think, a little bit obscure. Uh, mm. It certainly wasn't, like, a beloved film that every kid knew about. And I did, this is sort of around the time to kind of place it, Aladdin probably would have just come out. So I rented this, being sort of vaguely interested in it, knowing my dad had worked on it. And I think I'm about this point in the film, or perhaps um, yeah. the point where 
we get to John's house and we're sort of inside the house and all nine years old of me and my brilliant wisdom is like, I think this film kind of sucks. <laughs> like, cause this just wasn't in by any stretch of the imagination what a cartoon was to me. Like I, yeah. I and you know, you look at it now and obviously there's a lot of wonderful stuff about the art to kind of, you know, dissect and absorb, but it's almost like looking at a museum piece. Um, when you're nine and you don't have a very um, keen understanding of all of that, it just feels very jarring. You know, the frame rate, the very, very stark character designs. And I think I found, you know, the mishmash of um, assets kind of confusing and bewildering. It is that kid mentality. I don't understand this immediately. Therefore, it must be a bit stupid. Um and then it sort of did kind of won me over pretty quickly. Like once they kind of get going, you just kind of buy into the world pretty, um, pretty swiftly. Yeah. yeah, this is a great shot. I don't know why. I remember that it was this kind of these scenes in particular, and me feeling really nonplussed. But these are brilliant. Really boring, I guess. Maybe a sort of muted. Whoa, but it's all like, you know, this kind of weird trippy shit happening. Yeah. I'm surprised I wasn't like, ooh, you know, because I like weird stuff. Mm-hmm. We need more exciting colours. There was no wise cracking parrot. Where? Where are the sidekicks? What? No amazing uh, CG um, cave of wonders. Straight for the crotch. Yeah, why are we looking <laughs> yeah. in on his crotch? Why not? Is this still Ringo? This is just yeah. Ringo's house. This is Ringo's house. It's it sort of plays on like uh, a, a gag that was in Help. Have you have you seen Help? Nope. No, you've seen it, Ben. Yeah. So there's a moment in in Help where they were they were doing a uh, they all go into a house. They're all living in this big long terraced house. Um, and they each go up to their own front door and it's, and somebody says something like, oh, they've not changed. They're just still normal, normal boys who just, you know, live on a street. And you open it up and it's this, this huge house in the middle and they all live in, in this, this one big house. And that's the gag. And I think that's what this is sort of emulating. Going on the old, the old well-known Beatles gags. This is there kind of an odd concept, the um, monster turning into him. Is this George? Uh, John, I think it's it turns John, into. I think. Yeah. yeah. The fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's hand looks oh, like something joking. that fell off a, a building, <laughs> like sort of splattered on the ground. It has that kind of splayed. There you go. You know what this film really uh, has a dearth of? Yoko appearances. Because <laughs> there are lots of elements of the, the Beatles' oeuvre that uh, people feel, rightly so, she kind of clashed with as a creative influence. But she would have fit right the fuck in here. <laughs> I would not want to see a animated version of Revolution Number no. 9. <laughs> Yoko in the film. Well, she definitely would have been on the scene at this point. Where's what there? At 68, 
Are those like Yoko beasts? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Maybe. <laughs> those harpies. <laughs> Yoko Ono. She's following the cows. Well, she did have long hair back then. I'm going to find Yoko like a Where's Waldo. <laughs> oh, you reckon they <laughs> snuck her in like an Easter egg? Where's number nine? <laughs> I like this scene. It's a bit, um... What's his name? Loop Brung. Loop Brung Chop Drink. Nicholas oh, Mino. Yeah, it's mm. very Goddard. There's a lot of stuff that's been um, uh, absorbed, I think, by Who's animators that? today. This that's George. George. He looks very different to the other two. Why is so you George... can tell them apart. Why is George sexy? Who's the sexy one? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he's like from a completely different era. Like, he's from like the 70s. Things like well, they all kind of looked a bit ludicrous. George was the only one that just kind of looked like a bloke. Like <laughs> that's not what George ever looked like. His hair was a bit sixties-ish, like, but he he kind of just looked like a guy. He just yeah. had that kind of. Guy. I mean, they kind of all just looked like me- random blokes, and they. It's a funny thing of when you sort of look at pop stars and stuff back then, where they were just like really normal looking, because the photos you got of them back then were just people. Like they hadn't figured out quite how to touch people up any at all. Okay. Not well. Like, if you sexually. if you if you listen to yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in like photo editing, sure. Pe- people were still excited to hold a photograph. That's what it was. They were all wow. I don't care how ugly the person in the photograph is. This is brand new technology. So we're yet to be re- um, introduced to Paul. Is that Paul? Mm, maybe. Yeah. There's some more uh, fingers for you. Is that Linda? <laughs> Is that Linda? <laughs> Why she was so uh, into animals? That's what made her a vegetarian. <laughs> Someone do a Beatles impression. Go. Go on, Ben. After you. Uh, Liverpool is the one accent I uh, I, I really have never been able to. I can't really imagine you get a handle on. I say the one accent. There's like thousands. <laughs> oh, there he is. But that's that's one I know. I'm I just can't do for some reason. What can you do, Ben? Let's have another accent. You can do Mank, can't you? Uh, I don't know what you mean. Well, I mean, you won't be insulting me. I'm from Barnsley. I'll have a good old laugh about it. Um, I could sing you some Beatles songs if you like. No, that's not what we asked for. Well, I'm not your dancing monkey, am I? We're not asking for you to dance. Just sing. I like this. Who needs the sound? <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing that for a while, Laura. I'm okay with that. Remember how we were appealing to the listeners to maybe give us some money to make these podcasts? Uh, well, this is a very satisfying architecturally. Looks like the science museum. Mm. 
So yeah, um, there's quite a lot. Of, obviously, the film hinges a lot on the design of um, Heinz uh, Edelman, who was the uh, the artist that came on board. Uh, we said earlier on that, that the Beatles owed United Artists a third film after they did Hard Day's Night and Help, um, but none of them could be bothered being filmed again, and so they went to uh, TVC, Television Cartoons, who... Uh, had done the Beatles TV series. There was a, an animated TV series like Beatles, done in a kind of Hanna-Barbera style. Um, and they they set about designing this, um, but there was no script. The director was a little bit... Um, uh, oh, what's the best way to describe it? As others have described him as a little bit kind of... Um, not as attentive as he could have been. Uh, this is George Dunning, who, um, you know, produced some beautiful work. But I think it's been said that maybe TVC were a little bit out of their depth making this feature film. Because uh, there wasn't any kind of established feature uh, talent in the UK at this point. Uh, no, well, I mean, we we talked quite a bit about the production uh, a couple of years ago around the time of the 50th anniversary um, yeah, I forget the exact number of the episode, but we did a whole kind of podcast around the other submarine and more companion listening for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, mm. It was certainly a big kind of mountain to climb, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and basically anyone who could hold uh, a paintbrush and moisten the tip uh, was hired um, mm. at a certain point. Like it was, you know. Uh, enormously um, uh, staffed production just to kind of get it to the finish line. And it was around the same time that Richard Williams was kind of working in the earlier stages of uh, Cobbler and the Thief. Um, mm -hmm. Quite nearby, like sort of, I think, just sort of around the corner. And I remember uh, my dad would go on his lunch break and he would meet uh, the lady he was living with who was working on Richard Williams's film at the time. Uh, and apparently Richard Williams was terrified that she was trying to like leave his studio to go work on the yellow submarine. Cause that was like happening. I guess people were mm. sort of being lured over. It's like, come paint in cells for us. <laughs> Live the high life. There's a, um, yeah, it was great listening to listening back to that podcast. It was, I think, it was podcast eighty two, um, and listening to your dad's stories about um, working on the film, uh, and then hearing that he was actually there as well for the concert on the roof. Yeah, not actually on the roof, but he was in the streets when it was happening. Which is, which was, I'm so jealous listening to that. I thought that was absolutely incredible to be there because. <laughs> You know, we, if if you could go back in time in a time machine, I'd definitely go to that spot. I mean, I treat myself after killing Hitler, obviously, uh, and, and go and see the the Beatles concert. Um, yeah, really, really kind of really good podcast to listen back to that one. Mm. It's amazing the things that were just things that happened. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know. Uh, it was a very sort of famous uh, moment in the sort of Beatles um, career where they did a kind of impromptu concert on the roof of um, uh, the recording studio. 
Mm. And, um, you know, them being the Beatles, it was a big deal. Do you recall in The Simpsons where they sing on the roof and George Harrison drives by and looks up and says, it's been done? Yes. There you go, Liverpudlian accent. You what? You asked for it, Laura. You there it was. It. You did it. Oh no! <laughs> that whole thing was just a circuitous way to get me to. <laughs> now bring on the hate mail. <laughs> we did it. I can only do the Liverpool accent if I say one line, but I don't know what it means. What is it? Okay. Put your nan in a trolley. That's all I can do. That's so racist, Laura. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not racist. I'm sure it's just ageist. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, occasionally I, I would have been able to do impressions, but I, I don't necessarily even manage whole phrases. Like, I have that pretty good Christopher Walken impression, which is just, oh. I think it's a real... <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's as far as I get. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like um, Video Killed the Radio Star. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, he oh, was actually oh. the uh, uncredited backing singer of that song. A bit like Sting in uh, Money for Nothing. Okay, so Nan in a Trolley is a real thing, but I can't figure out what it means. It just says, shut up or I'll put your Nan in a Trolley. Well, squiggly listeners, uh, squiggly scousers out there, feel free to get in touch <laughs> and uh, educate us on the subject. what I learned from my one trip to Liverpool. Was it just full of nans in trolleys? So, uh, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I've got a book, I might have told you this before, like a little a memoir by a guy called uh, Anthony Perry. Um, who came on board to try and fix the film. He also worked with uh, Heinz Edelman on the film. And this memoir is very... It's not written from an animator's point of view. It's written from a film financier's point of view. Uh, yeah. And so there are numerous... Is that an uh, What's going on on screen or an er uh, at <laughs> film financiers? <laughs> Scary number, number nine. Like number nine. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, um, he said that the film was in quite a lot of trouble um, at the point that it was it was going on. It's something that your dad um, spoke about uh, on the podcast as well. Uh, it's something that the producer, um, John Coates, really denies that it was ever in any trouble as a film. Uh, they said that it was uh, a case that it was late. You know, it was, it was delayed. The production was delayed and everything. Um, and then you have these amazing stories about... Um, how John Coates would send um, a bus around all the London art schools at like four or five o'clock in the evening, pick up all the students, take them back to the, the desks, the offices, and they would work overnight to do all these, um, to finish the film, to, to paint all the cells. I think these are the people that your, your dad was talking about who, you know, as long as they could point a paintbrush, they'd get a job. Um, and... According to according to IMDb, about fifteen kids were, were the result of all these young people working late nights in uh, in an office in London. Yeah. Uh, so you talk about production babies. 
Uh, there they are. The original production babies are all uh, 50 odd years old now. <laughs> so yeah, they started. The, most most of the people working on the film started the production single and ended it pregnant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, some of the some of the legendary parties that were going on. But yeah, the the film was was on shaky grounds according to Perry's uh, memoir. Apparently, there was no copyright on the films for the designs. And he said that the film belonged to the paint and trace girls as much as it belonged to anyone else. So the film was carrying on, the film was being made, but there was no, no one was copywriting the designs. No one was copywriting any of the, the content of the film. Um, so yeah. We can use any part of this film. Well, no, since then, obviously uh, it's been lawyered up like you wouldn't imagine. Uh, and in fact, when, I remember when it was when it was been um, distributed a few years ago. It was they were incredibly tight in terms of where they were distributing it and stuff. Which you know, they need, the Beatles like anything like a, the Beatles needs to be, or is usually kind of looked after in a very kind of stringent way. It's not something that they want to oversaturate. Um, but yeah, we're, we we can use it for review purposes, which is what this is. So yeah, I suppose. But yeah, they started the film with no story and um, Heinz Entelman was uh, obviously had to um, began drawing characters that, that the Blue Meanies um, and the Apple Bonkers and all those characters that you were looking at earlier on, Laura, and going, what the heck is going on? Uh, they were all a kind of result of, of uh, Heinz Edelman not really enjoying himself for the first couple of months of the film. Um, in fact, he actually turned up to the offices one day to... to to quit, to actually um, to, to resign and sort of hand in his resignation in, in person. But the offices were that crap. There was no one there. So <laughs> he, just, he just stayed on the film. This is trippy, isn't it? It's blue and green. Um, sorry, yeah, I feel like red this and green. pass sort of health and this safety standards. Yeah. This would give the Pokemon kids a run for the money in terms <laughs> of seizures. Are you going to like the seer holes later? Hmm. <laughs> Is it the, the Sea of Holes where, or one of the segments which adds to that, um, this is the Sea of Monsters, isn't it? But um, the, uh, we might have just seen it, where which adds to the, the rumour, the Paul is dead rumour. Have you heard that? The, I think your dad mentioned it in that, in that podcast as well. Your mum, no, your mum came in the podcast at the end and, and mentioned it. Yeah, they're all um, taken over my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> all along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a bit where there's two animated Paul McCartney's turn up at the same time and people point and go, there it is! There it is! Indis- indisputable proof! <laughs> there it is! It's amazing, <laughs> like, because people are, are like that now. Like, it, it was it was always the same. Like, people just love to make up stuff to find, you know, um, <laughs> secret little agendas in and conspiracy theories. Mm. People, I think now they think it's like an in- invention of the Twitter age. It's like, no, <laughs> people just love a good made-up factoid. Yeah, all all Twitter's done is giving people the opportunity to think that they're right. That's all it's done. Because back in the day, you'd say something in, in the pub and somebody'd go, what are you talking about? And you'd never say it again. And now, uh, obviously... I'm, I'm sure there were little Beatles fandom sections of, you know, groups he would meet up or whatever, or... However, yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd correspond back then through uh, like, Pigeon. Less than <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear? 
<laughs> you know, the... Their own little echo chamber just takes a long time for it to get... Morse code? Is it Morse code? No. I think they... The rhythm would be Morse code. I forget the name of the device. Okay. Um, anyway. There's a school of Wales. Hey, look, they're a bit old for school. University, then. University of Wales. Well, they look like dropouts to me. You've got to steer clear. Steer clear? Yes, steer clear. Yes, steer. I hope my impression of the noise, if I can't do an impression of regional accents, if I can do impressions of old-timey communication devices. You knew what I was talking about, clearly. <laughs> do a gramophone. Uh, okay. Hmm. I said a gramophone, not, not, a, not a soda stream. Aye, aye, aye. Perfectionist. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, th there is a story, I guess, <laughs> in this film. <laughs> you know, in, in the sense that... Um, hello. <laughs> in the sense that there's sort of events happening. Um, I don't think it really is too demanding of your attention, though. Like, I think most of it is a sort of, uh, uh, you can just sort of enjoy moment to moment. Like, mm. eh, it's the Beatles. Telegraph. Right on. Um, <laughs> I think it makes, I think these types of films do make a lot more sense um, after you've reached a certain stage of life. What is happening now? Uh, well, Ringo's. Uh, accidentally ejected himself from the yellow submarine and he landed on a scampering so beast. Well, that's just the way he smolders. Sorry, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so they have to find and rescue Ringo because he's uh, gamboling away. Dinosaur has very nipply nostrils. <laughs> That's a nipple that I think needs some kind of ointment. Why has it got like two nostril holes? Why have you got two nostril holes? So why has he got a hole inside a hole? Uh, so four nostril holes. It's because yeah. it's the what type the of uh, monster thing? he is. Is <laughs> the four I nostril nightmares? <laughs> Is this why you've like resisted watching this film all the way through? This is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this is like the point in the trip where you get taken to the tent to just have a bit of a lie down. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to ruin everyone else's time at the show. So, okay, we're going to take you to the tent now, dude. Ah, uh, uh, it's a bad time. We'll get you some water. We've got cookies and <laughs> snacks. <laughs> I got chest pains, dude. I. <laughs> this film and that description are the reasons I've never done drugs. 
Well, drugs were awfully good fun until the day that they weren't, and it's just like, yeah, I'm done. Like that's <laughs> that's me sorted. I, you know, it was my, it was pretty early on in life closing of that chapter. I have to say, um, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was I was actually probably done. I think by like twenty three. And it was, I think, maybe because I was also just not very healthy, but I would get to the point where I would, like, really struggle and I would keep catching my breath. And that was what worried me, I think, more than anything else. I was just getting too stoned to breathe, <laughs> probably. <laughs> also, it, it, it had to be said, the quality of product you would get in Cheltenham versus the quality of product you would get in Montreal, it was a chasmic disparity. And... Basically, I just wasn't built for Montreal uh, herbage. <laughs> like, it was too much. And I think that kind of tipped me over. I mean, I can but, hear the police in the background there, Ben. You want to stop talking about no, I'm still drugs. paranoid ever, ever to this day. <laughs> coming to me. Um, <laughs> they got their money's worth out of that turnaround. They did, didn't they? It's a good bit of technical animation. <laughs> Just keep but doing it. But certainly um, films like this make a bit more sense insofar as they, they, they don't make sense, me? but uh, you understand the, the, the consciousness logic of it, I suppose. What? Probably the, a very little good creativity, I think, has ever come from getting high. I think really getting high leads to a lot of boring ideas and that's why one of those sort of irritating phrases I find is like oh well the people who made this must have been on so many drugs yeah, yeah. and the amount of drugs you have to not take to do an animation production of any kind it's like, like that, <laughs> um, but on drugs it's yeah. like that that's on with this on acid man oh, <laughs> Um, it makes me think of that uh, Bill Bailey bit of like, no, that on acid is like, oh, that's quite interesting. 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 <laughs> look how the leg and your uh, look how your leg and the leg of the table makes an end, makes an end, makes an end, <laughs> makes an end for fifteen hours. Well, we had one of those in, in uni in my first year. One of the teachers like wanted to be like the cool university professor, and it was so cringe. Um, but he was like one of the guy who would be like, hey, if you if you're well, stuck on ideas, Steve, it's you. <laughs> what? And you soon. PhD. All um, oh, right. I just, yeah. Well, not the well, weird fluffy bunny blue meaning. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it is. A Daffy gotta... old creep. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> rude bastards! <laughs> God, first of all, you first of all you do Liverpool, then you do me. Well, I mean, God, everyone's getting it in the neck. <laughs> But this guy would be like, uh, oh, you know, if you get stuck on ideas, just just smoke a joint or two, man, and the uh, ideas will come. Oh, no. I mean, if, I, if I try and do anything creative, I would just end up staring at the pencil for 45 <laughs> minutes and laughing at it. Did anyone come in and go, oh, I tried to do the, the assignment, but then I just got high. Yeah, I just ate snacks. And uh, zoned out for 17 hours. So, you know, I've not got a lot to show for myself. No, that's cool, that's cool. It's not, though, is it? I'm going to fail. In life. I think this is one of the scenes Dad worked on in particular. I think he had to deal with this guy quite a lot. 
<laughs> There's a great um, little walk cycle thing coming up. It's more of a kind of prance. Um, it's after they sing the song. He's in the Nowhere Man, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, I'm not that old, believe it or not. <laughs> With this film having been released 52 years ago, uh, I was not yet a glint in my father's eye. But why does it walk like you? Maybe, um, maybe he, <laughs> maybe he showed this to me and I forgot, but I took on the. Um, so your your dad was was your dad cell painting or was he was he animating? What was the uh, mainly painting? I think yeah. There's a couple of bits of anim- we have a few. There's at least one animation cell somewhere left over um, mm. that uh, will be, I guess, uh, going to either me or my sister. My sister, I think, has her eyes on it. Just because she doesn't really like the Beatles or animation, but I think like out of the principle of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you're listening, Lynn, uh, I like the Beatles and animation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think you, you're a very handsome man, and, and, and yeah. Let's give it away for a squiggly quiz. Yeah, that I know all the answers to that'll, that'll do. <laughs> um, I, there's definitely one I remember. It's it, a scene that was cut because it, it's an uncolored cell that I guess he was just able to pocket and bring home <laughs> with him. Um, so it's a character that I, I can't really place, but it is very identifiably from this film. Yeah. Uh, it's a female character. It might just be one of those like background characters mm. that we see from time to time. Um, good <coughs> sad fish. <laughs> uh, but no, like after the song, there's a, um, it's like literally for half a second, but it's when they're about to get back on the submarine and they're like, Oh, why don't we bring him with us? And so, <laughs> uh, Paul maybe like sort of prances back over to the nowhere man. <laughs> and for some reason, it always makes me chuckle. <laughs> Here like it a comes. Good prance. I heard it. Yeah. There's a Ringo. Poor little fella. Ah, oh, poor little fella. I don't know. Ringo's just a sentimentalist. Oh, look at him. Can't he come with Rindo's us? eyes are terrifying. This. <laughs> 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 I love that. You can come with us if you like. Come, you weird mean, little thing. You take a nowhere, man. Yeah, come on, we'll take you somewhere. Another. Their adventure continues. Who will they meet next? Weird. Yeah. Hey, look at it. <laughs> I mean, when people listen to the song "Nowhere Man," <laughs> it's like a cutie. It, it, no one was really picturing this. No. Am I, am I <laughs> He's like a kiwi wearing fake ears and a face. Yeah. This is yuck. He must be of a god in South Park. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be completely freaked out? Um, I sent a message to you um, on Skype. If you go into the chat, uh, I sent you a link. I don't know if you can see it to the 2010 remake that was going to be made. So in 2009, rather, um, Disney uh, announced that they were going to do a motion capture remake of Yellow Submarine. And it was going to be directed by Robert Zemeckis, director of um, 
uh, of Beowulf and Polar Express and the Christmas Carol and all the motion capture films that are not very good. Um, in my opinion, you know, they might be brilliant. If you'd like them, then, you know, fair enough. You're wrong. Um, but there's, I think a, there's I, a bit I, I've of... I've never met anyone who liked any of those films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I think what happens is films get their generation and the generation are listening now perhaps grew up with um, the Polar Express and see it as an absolute stone-cold classic and you can't, you know, have a go at it at all. This isn't something this film needed is to ever be in CG. But are you looking at the CG creations? Yeah. Are you looking at uh, the Nowhere Man, who just looks like a fat psycho in a gilet with a mask on that's going to murder you? Uh, yep. Oh um, my god! Why were they ever trying to make a bloody nightmare? That's like um, they weren't trying, Laura. They succeeded. This you is horrifying. Why would they? Why would they do this? This is like something someone would do for like a portfolio piece, just to be like, I can do horror. Yeah, it's like when people do really like overly oh. graphic, photorealistic, like Peter Griffin's or Homer Simpson's yeah. or Beavis and Butthead's, and they just make them look terrifying. Well, to me, I mean, if you scroll down, you can see the the Beatles models that have been made. Uh, So the the, the Beatles are slightly gangly, but they're also very clearly CG. And it reminds me of, and not in a good way, because the the director I'm about to mention does Uncanny in a really good way. But it reminds me of Chris Landreth. There's a a flavour of Ryan about the the whole thing, isn't there? But obviously without the... um, it doesn't look to have the um, the skill and understanding of uh, of Landreth, you know. Well, Chris Landreth has a very good. He's a very good judge of when that kind of visual is appropriate, and he pairs it with these very outlandish film concepts that are sort of meant to f- make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think. Yeah. Um, so I think that that works when he does it um but when you're just kind of like arbitrarily you know making applying that to something like this it it doesn't really evoke psychedelia or any of the kind of sort of trippiness of the era it just it it feels i think a bit too contemporary and it's a bit too sort of at odds with um i don't know it's sort of overtly weird Hmm. Which is sort of, I mean, yeah, obviously you could say that about this film, but like looking at this sequence, for example, the Roto, um, and the way this kind of like works within the film. Um, Imagine just trying to decipher on like all of the weird characters what things are meant to be, even. Like just looking at the those weird CG models of like the blue minis, like their weird black ears i guess that are down the side of their heads yeah these cg people have interpreted as being like hair nuggets or flesh like bits of weird flying flesh because they also have ears yeah if you translate that to something like uh, a natural sort of physical object in there unless it's like a sculpt in the cartoony style yeah it's very odd like you're trying to literally interpret everything that is on these kind of weird fictionalized hell beast characters. So 
But yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad it got cancelled. Yeah, <laughs> just <said> snap. <laughs> yeah, I'm very glad it didn't get uh, it didn't actually get made. Um, yeah. Is Ringo uh, just yeah. holding the hand of the weird little man Kiwi? Yeah, they're friends. Aww, I love Ringo. <laughs> weird little daffy prick or whatever they called him. Daffy old creep. Hey. Ringo often gets the hero role in the uh, the Beatles films. Art imitating yeah. life. Yeah. Oh, God love him. Did he ever luck the fuck out? <laughs> well, he was a perfectly competent drummer. He, if you needed a good four-four, he was your man. Um, but otherwise, there were a couple. Of, I guess there were some nice bits in Abbey Road, but. Generally speaking, he was just there to kind of keep the beat. Uh, he wasn't a bad drummer, which is sort of a, a falsehood that goes around that he was sort of like not actually competent. He was perfectly fine, but everyone else, like the other three, like kind of completely reshaped what music even was. And you know, he was there keeping the beat. What was George wrote some great songs. George's songs were way more, I think, taking the lead on the psychedelia side of things. Um, I think with George, George kind of, he learned how to be, you, you hear him at the beginning and he gets given one or two songs and then by album four or five, he sort of steps it up and then you start getting songs like Something, you, you get, you know, all these all these incredible songs that, like say, really took on psychedelia. And by the end, he's by far the the best Beatle. I mean, he was the one with the first number one album when he when he left the Beatles. Um, All things must pass, I think it was. Yeah, and then um, then he <laughs> he moves on to like I've got my man set on you. Oh, don't have a well, go at Cloud Nine, Ben. <laughs> that's that's over. <laughs> I like that. One. I like it too. What's his last name? George Harrison. <laughs> so we've got some thoughts on the film from uh, Aaron, if anyone's... Uh, so, yeah, Aaron's thoughts on the film so far. He says, I'm enjoying it. It's kind of what I expected. Some trippy, weird and wonderful animated interpretations of the music. Um, it's more experimental in a lot of the sequences than I thought. More techniques have been explored than just yellow submarine style I thought it was all in. Uh, I have to say I enjoy the musical animations a lot more uh, and f- and a few of the linking sequences, but not much of the dialogue and script uh, and the Beatles standing around. I think we can agree with that, really. Yeah, the dialogue sequences just kind of get you from place to place, really. I'm not enjoying the whole world. The sea of holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they're in a sea of, green, sea of 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 green. And red. And red. Ooh, uh, wh- no, wh- no, no, wh- no, 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 no. Have you all taken your medication? My eyes hurt. Yeah, maybe we should have put a warning at the beginning of this episode. I feel like I need well, to just for us three. Ah, so they have made it to the, uh, the godforsaken land that has been taken over. But are they too late? The camera reminds me of Return to Oz. 
when everything's all like messed up and everyone's been turned to statues. That's Return what the film could have done with some film. wheelers. Oh God, no! That again, they would have fit right in. They would have fit in with the Zemeckis remake. Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't mind a couple of wheelers in this style. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think they. I think they. They would have. You know, had their place. Uh, sort of division of the Blue Meanie Army. Unbonk yourself. Unbonk yourself. Ah, now, once you're bonked, word. you can't be unbonked. Bonk you. <laughs> Ew. I really hate this guy with his weird hands. The skinned gentleman. Yeah. I think that is meant to be wrinkled. I know, but doesn't it read as like he's has no skin? Yeah. And like his son has like really thin papery skin that will rip really quickly. <laughs> they both look like they have that really horrible condition where their skin just constantly burns off and regrows. Yeah, what's that? It's really horrible, but they both look like they that have That sounds it. lovely. It's like your skin is constantly replenishing itself and it, you can't stop it. So you have to like bathe loads and and it, your, skin, it, your skin is just constantly raw all over your body. That's, that's horrible. That's yeah. the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Well, that, this is what these guys look like. You've been watching those Channel 5 documentaries again, Laura? Yeah. It's just Instagram. All right. Wow. It's just on Instagram all the time. Uh, he has no fingers. Why did they have only two fingers? <laughs> That's great. They're like little pepperamis. Yeah, they are like pepperamis. <laughs> Why is Paul wearing eyeliner? Yeah, and Ringo's eyes are so like set. Ringo's eyes these, are terrifying. Like, he's like he's wearing like zombie contact lenses. Yeah, they're like these gaping holes that have been kind of scratched into his face with eyes. Like hieroglyphics. Like an owl yeah. or a fox. And then Paul looks like an Egyptian. He looks like Cleopatra. Mm. George is the only normal one. So for Ringo Starr's credit, he did write Yellow Submarine, the song. <laughs> no, um, no. He didn't write it. Oh, he did Paul wrote it for Ringo. He sung it. He sang it. That was it. That's he why sang it sounds it, yeah. like shit. <laughs> there's, uh, there's two songs I always. I'm, I like to think I'm one of the biggest Beatles fans in the world, but I'm clearly not because there are two Beatles songs I'll always skip. One of them's "Yellow Submarine." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. This is what it looks like. They have. I oh, see. So yeah, now that does look like the, uh, the character. Ish. What's the other song you skip? Uh, Revolution number nine. Not no, Revolution. That's Revolution's a, amazing, but Revolution number nine is just... It's a toe-tapper. Come on. <laughs> Let it grow on you. Well, it's... It's the number nine song. Number nine? Number nine. Yeah. I haven't seen Yoko yet. There she is. Look in the background. No, that's not Yoko. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll continue to look then. Is that Gandhi or Lennon? 
Um, Lenin or Lenin? Neither. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> God, they're all just standing around crying. Why? Are they Lazy. Because they've been turned into. Yeah. Because all the music's been taken yeah. out of the world. Hey. Who? Oh, they can move when they want to. <laughs> Cabbage. <laughs> I this wish we could just isolate. Of- I wish we could just isolate Laura's audio so it's like, wee, woo, cabbage. I mean, it would just be wonderful just to listen to that. It's a film that needs audio because there's so much <laughs> not happening. <laughs> like, it's just weird stuff of voice. See, like, what are these things coming out of his head? Are they, like, second ears or are they a hat or is it hair? The hats. The, the Mickey Mouse Club hats. I think Heinz uh, Edelman hated Disney. So he gave them all a sort of... Uh, some of them have got Mickey Mouse ears and some of them have got the sort of goofy hat, long ears. Oh, no, yeah. But yeah. Why did he hate Disney? Uh, I think because it's cool to hate Disney. Charge too much to watch Mulan. Commerciality. Yeah. <laughs> I like the meanies leggings. <laughs> Look at them. Ah, look at the dog. Oh no. I don't like it. They have such human teeth. <laughs> like yellow. Yellow and blunt. <laughs> Just there. Not remotely sharp. Those teeth would not do any damage. They're gnawing on me. <laughs> They're gnawing on me, Ringo. <laughs> I don't like it. If we go on much longer, gonna get a bruise. Why is it dark now? Because um, some went down. Yeah. But it's not proper dark. It's d- uh, dusk then, I guess. I it's know, cartoon it's dark. Huh? Are they all sleeping or are they all dead? They're all sleeping. Even though it looks, even though visually they did fire <laughs> a machine gun in that direction. <laughs> Cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) Are they going to dress up like Sergeant Pepper now? Yeah, you got it. And as you know, they keep the beards with the hats. It's like a tam o' shanter that you can buy when you're in Scotland. Sergeant Pepper is my favourite Beatles album, as it is, is the it? only one I know. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. You could do worse. I uh, I have a I have very fond memories of that album. Weirdly, sort of specific ones that probably we wouldn't translate anecdotally, but as we've reached a bit of a lull in the film, strap it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the kind of bastard school where you had to go to school every day. Like, <laughs> on Saturday you had to go until noon, and on Sunday you had to go in for a chapel service. I shit you not. What? Yeah. That was my reaction for 14... No, it wasn't that long. 12 years, maybe? 
Yeah, about that. Um, yeah, chapel on your Sunday. And we lived, you know, we lived, it was easier when my, uh, I moved to Cheltenham because, you know, then I could just walk there. And I think in the end, I just stopped going and no one cared. But initially, um, when I was, I guess, about sort of 16, 17, it was sort of the last sort of, you know, days of me going to this chapel. My dad would then drive me back to my mum's house, which was in the country. But my mum was never in on Sundays because she had a life and she didn't have to go to <laughs> chapel like a stupid son. Um, so I would have the house to myself and my girlfriend, Alison would come over and we would sit in the drawing room and listen to Beatles albums and drink <laughs> Koenig's black Russian, which was this horrible liqueur black Russian, like sort of pre-made thing. It was so syrupy and gross, but you know, that's the kind of thing 16 year olds, I guess, do to get drunk, um, and just waste the afternoon. Listening to Fixing a Hole. Nice. That's the song I remember the most. <laughs> nice. It's a good song. It's a great album, Sgt. Yeah. Peppers. What's your think... favourite Beatles song? Steve, do you want to take this oh. one first? I, well, for me, for me, it's difficult. I always go back to I Am The Walrus because it's just so mad. And I'm surprised it didn't make it into this film because it's exactly the type of madness that you'd expect. Um, but I, I, it's like, it depends on my mood. You know, I can't say, I can't say definitively that's my favorite Beatles song because, you know, something is a, is an amazing song or, you know, there, there are so many fantastic tracks, even on something like, um, you know, the White Album. For me, the, the White Album was the first, um, uh, it was the first, my first exposure to the Beatles. It was the, just the tape that my dad had in the car to, and he put it on to keep us quiet. And he only had side one for it and he must have played it and it, you know, all, he played it inside out. And uh, I remember the day he told me that I, I, that there were more Beatles songs. <laughs> and I was like four or five or something. And he went, you know, there's more Beatles songs than this one side of, <laughs> of the White Album. I went, what? <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was like, it was like all my Christmases had come at once. <laughs> Little Beatles nerd. But no, I can't, I can't place it. I always sort of trickle back to to the kind of um, mid to late stuff. But yeah. What, what about yourself, Ben? There, well, there's a lot that kind of jostle for the top spot. I used to do a couple mm. live. Um, and the, the ones that were sort of the most fun to do would have been the like stuff like Tomorrow Never Knows. That's a great sort of shouty one. Um, mm. And Blue Jay Way, which was really kind of creepy. Uh, but as far as listening to them, probably overall, it's not my favorite album overall, but probably my favorite song overall would be the closer of Sgt. Pepper's, uh, which is called A Day in the Life. And it's a pretty unassuming song, but the, the melody of it is very strong. And there are these moments in it where it just kind of... Uh, becomes chaos and then emerges from chaos again. And then the ending is a very kind of um, like impactful ending. It's just this great sort of, you know, major chord. Um, very simple, but it sort of basically puts a big bow at the end of the record. Mm. And then there's this sort of weird fuckery right after it. Like the very end of the album is just bizarre. Um, <laughs> I remember trying to. Because I had, I think I mentioned in the other podcast, I have 
a lot of the original albums on vinyl because my dad just gave them to me. Um, and the way it works on the vinyl record is that weird loop at the end of Sergeant Pepper's just goes on forever. It just, it, the needle kind of skips over into a groove that's just a circle. Hmm. So it just plays on the loop, on the loop, unless you take the needle off. Um, and it's just kind of nonsense noise of people kind of like yammering. And uh, I remember trying to like get that to work and it just wouldn't work. I was just to like, I was explaining it to, again, probably someone I was going out with. And I think this person sort of thought I was crazy because the, re- the record would just end like a normal record. And I kept like, no, no, this, this is interesting. Trust me. <laughs> and you know, it's bad when, you, when you're demanding someone's interest in something that is trivial at the very best. Like it's only basic. It's only just relevant in a podcast where we're talking about the Beatles. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but I like I liked the little sort of like screw abouty things that you would get with vinyl like that. Yeah, because on the CD you just have that loop playing and it just kind of fades out. Um, but then of course all the backwards stuff, like to kind of, I mean there wasn't that much of the backwards stuff really. But the way you would actually hear it was you would have to manually just turn the record back, which is really bad for the mechanism. Um, <laughs> Bit of interaction with your physical media. The kids today don't know they're born. Yeah, they don't. Well, we, we almost we were almost um, gonna watch uh, a, a, a well, not a Monty Python film, even though it's got all Monty Python in it. It's about somebody from Monty Python. But um, they had some fantastic vinyl as well, and I remember that because I like you got um, all my dad's vinyl, and it was Beatles, and it was um, Beatles sound alike bands, <laughs> and. Um, uh, and Monty Python records, and they played around a bit as well. I think on one of their albums with that, uh, I think it was Matching Tie and Jacket, where you think you're going to play, you play, you, you put the needle down, and you'll either get one skit or you'll get another skit, um, which was great. Yeah, I like the sort of um, kind of holds up, I guess, to repeat listening more. Yeah. I like the kind of um, the idea that someone might not know that, and then they kind of realize after they buy it, sort of thing. Especially in yeah. the era of you know um, uh, taking. Uh, sorry, I got captivated by this guy's uh, performance. Especially if you're kind of at the point where you're sort of taking a lot of drugs and you put on a record that you love and it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be enough to fucking send you through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's when people, like, get so kind of freaked out by those sort of Mandela effect things, like when they just remember things wrong yeah. and then they see, like, a scene plays out slightly differently then they remembered it because they haven't seen it in like five or ten years, and they're like, fuck it now, we're in a different timeline! It's like, chill out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how memory works. It's okay. Yeah. But if you put on a record and then put it on later that day and it's different, that's... Uh... What's the other thing they would do? Was it like um, horse races? Yeah, yeah. You could put on like a horse, and a different horse would win, depending on when the needle... Um... Where you drop the needle, yeah. yeah. Ah, uh, these clever folks in the olden days. 
They certainly had it made. Pepperland sequence going on quite so long. Well, I, I was I was looking I was looking up this because um, your dad said in the in the podcast that um, the Hey Bulldog sequence was uh, was added late and was made, but in this guy Anthony Perry's memoir, he says that it was taken out. Um, and I think it was so. Your dad said it was added for the for for the French release, and uh, yeah, it, it's. Um, I'd rather listen to your dad, I think, because uh, this guy's memoir says that Hallett and Bachelor were rubbish. So uh, I'm not going <laughs> well, to listen to your dad. Be a is more weirdly polite. specific thing to have made up. Yeah. Um, but I say that a few podcasts ago when I, we were talking about possible films to put up against The Yellow Submarine, I suggested the well-known animation classic Kiss versus The Wizard, which isn't a film. I don't know where the hell that came from. I <laughs> but I looked it up afterwards, and there is no film called Kiss versus the Wizard. Wow, really? It just completely was an invented thing. There was a film, a live-action film, called Kiss versus the Phantom. But in my head, it was animated, and it wasn't the Phantom, it was the Wizard. So I don't know why. And there has been a Kiss animated movie, Kiss meets Scooby-Doo. But that was like 10 <laughs> years ago, so that wouldn't have been what I'm thinking of. So I, I and I cannot for the life of me work out why or what I have conflated to create that completely made up movie. So because I can picture it, that's a, that's a really weird thing. Wow, it's, it's kind of in a sort of very seventies, like weirdly kind of a Scooby Doo style, even though it's not this Scooby Doo film. So I mean, a maybe film, you have to a, make it now. Then a, a film this made in it. the seventies about Kiss facing off against the wizard or the eighties, I suppose it would have been probably more likely, um, would have been a, a brilliant film. Let's face facts. <laughs> My only theory is that the live action film kiss versus the phantom was a Hanna-Barbera film. And maybe I just read about it and I invented not realizing that it was live action. I just pictured it and that became yeah. a memory. So, um, I would suggest that that would be a possible answer to my dad remembering uh, the addition of the scene in this film the way he did. But also, my dad isn't an idiot like me, so it's more likely that he's right, and I'm just a crazy person who makes up movies like a child would. Well, I, I can see Kiss versus The Wizard. I, I know that they'll save the day with rock and roll. That's what it'll be in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they would do. That would be the, the exact thing they would do to save the day. <laughs> it writes itself, for Christ's sake. Yeah, the one, the one that's always that's got makeup like a cat. He'll be turned into a cat by the witch, you know, or the wizard. He'll, you know, this thing. Let's let's get let let's see if Kiss versus the is available. Let's let's make this happen. Yeah, and you know exactly what the wizard can't stand. <laughs> And it's partying every night. Well, Kiss would come along and completely stomp the wizard's notions into oblivion with their inevitable brand of heavily made-up rock and roll funkery. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Kiss. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's get on it then. That, that'll be our feature debut. Yay! I'm sure if they can find, you know, they're very into franchising themselves. I think they could get Kiss coffins at one point. For, yeah. You know, diehard fans who wanted Kiss themed funerals. 
Well, it's pretty diehard, isn't it? Yeah. Who wouldn't? Exactly. Right. Uh, so, what's happening in this film? <laughs> if we take a step back from uh, my world of cataclysmic delusions, in a film that was actually made, um, I guess are they about to set the real club band free? Hmm. Uh, they're explaining now uh, the logic of the film, as it, you know, required, I think, a bit of explanation. They were extensions of themselves. So now it all makes perfect sense. Yeah, but- this is apparent, according to the uh, Perry's memoir, this is the thing that really took people out of the film because they start talking about, um, you know, Einstein and things like this. But he's yeah. got the hole in his pocket from earlier on. There you go. And it works. I came across quite a funny anecdote about, obviously the Beatles had very little to do with this film, apart from a live action sequence that's coming up. But uh, Malcolm Draper, who was an animator on the film, uh, went to a screening once where uh, John Lennon uh, came and he sat with the producer, John Coates, um, and watched the film. And the first third of the film was in colour. And then, obviously, the animatic came up, which was in black and white. And John Lennon turned around to John Coates and said, John, where's the fucking colour? <laughs> and then he said, oh, I'm not here to watch a black and white film. Got up and walked out. Um, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I think it was in the anthology documentary, they were talking about like the, the overall shitness of Magical Mystery Tour. And there was a great illustrative moment where, because of course most people at the time watching a TV special didn't have colored television. Yeah. And there's a scene in Magical Mystery Tour where they, they're on a psychedelic tour bus, essentially, and the tour guide's like, and look at out your left and you'll see the British coastline. And if you look to your right, however, and then it's this big, like, you know, trippy inverted color palette has suddenly filled up the window. Um, with psychedelic colours, and of course in black and white, it just looks like the same British coastline, like on either <laughs> side of the bus. <laughs> Thought that went yeah. through well, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Although that actually, in the colour version, is one of the few bits of the film that kind of work, as it stays in its lane. Like, I think it's the bit time to um, flying, which is just a kind of trippy instrumental piece. Um, and so it's just trippy instrumental visuals, you know, um, well, trippy visuals at time to the music. Um, but then as soon as they start, you know, yammering on or just, you know, Oh, it's a song about a walrus. Better get out that walrus costume. (laughs) (laughs) This, uh, this song that's on now, Hey Bulldog is, I mean, the Beatles weren't, they didn't really care about this, but they ended up putting together an album, Yellow Submarine, just for, just to, to put it out there. Uh, and yeah. there's, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of an album. If you, when, when, when you, when you re-listen to it for the, uh, squiggly soundtrack Saturdays, Ben, um, we've already done it. It's in the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, up on the Instagram. Ah, good, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the, the majority of the songs in here, there's a few kind of new ones and there's a few kind of what you'd imagine a sort of what the Beatles have just scraped off the bottom of the, you know, the floor that they're not, not really bothered with. Um, but Hey Bulldog is a, is a genuine, uh, fantastic song. Uh, you know, 
the others that have been made for this film so um all the songs that we've heard like nowhere man eleanor rigby they're all from previous albums even yellow submarine from a previous album but um what have you got you've got uh all together now you've got uh it's all too much you've got hey bulldog and uh i can't remember the other one but there is another one uh yeah, and then the rest of the album, the other side of the album is George Martin's orchestral score for the film because the producer uh, of the Beatles, George Martin, he um, he had this fantastic background. He used to do all the, the comedy records. I think he used to do The Goons. Um, and But then he did loads of orchestral stuff. So if you listen to a, a later Beatles song and you've got a little bit of orchestra in there, that's that's George Martin's influence. Um, the it Beatles were coming... It be, wasn't there? A lot of that, yeah. And I think that's kind of what led to the Beatles splitting up was, you know, Paul was big on that and wanted, you know, choruses and stuff. And John wanted a bit more sort of rock and roll. He didn't he didn't want uh, choruses. I think his line was, it's not, it's a Beatles record. It doesn't have a chorus in it. But um, the Beatles would come in and they'd say, I heard this, this particular instrument um, uh, and it, it turned out it was, you know, George Martin could say, yeah, that's a French horn. And then all of a sudden, it, that French horn's on Penny Lane, you know. Yeah. So you know he's a great, a great influence on, on the Beatles. But it's a nice, it's a nice side of the album, I think, because this that kind of orchestral uh, music. Because if we had the music on, the Pepperland Suite alone is so kind of daunting. It's it's kind of like the Imperial March. It's like John Williams' uh, Star Wars, you know, dun, 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 all that sort of stuff. It's very but grand. It's, Feels, Very grand, yeah. yeah. But way before, um, before Darth Vader was even thought of, mm. uh, and I don't think he gets enough credit, George Martin, even though he's often called the Fifth Beatle, which is credit enough. But yeah, for his uh, you know scores. Did they ever release a full orchestral score for this? Because there are a couple of cues that definitely aren't on the record. I don't know if they released the whole thing. I know that. Um, when George Martin released a kind of uh, a suite as well, so he, he put it all together uh, as as one big one big long track on a on an on an album that he released years and years ago, uh, which had loads of celebrities singing Beatles songs, which was, and he picked some really oh, good celebrities. That, yeah. yeah, so he had Billy Connolly shouting his way through the benefit <laughs> of Mr. Kite, Jim Carrey doing "I Am the Walrus," uh, and just really going for it it was it was amazing i think what did um i think robin williams did a track as well i think he did come together with somebody <laughs> which was brilliant yeah yeah sorry i'll just get a little bit of praise there for for george martin but yeah in fact i think this scene I, i'm quite fond of the music when he's like dangling the nowhere man um yeah i i don't think this piece of music's on the record um, and it's a lovely little sort of string swell kind of coming up. Uh, but, yeah. But yeah, so sort of interesting thing. Did you ever listen to the anthology um, uh, collections? The Yeah. Um, with all the sort of alternate takes and early versions of songs and things like that. Which mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when if you want to sort of geek out at stuff, I love that sort of like evolution side of things when it comes to songwriting mm. uh some of them do sound pretty dreadful because they are just actually <laughs> messing around 
But um, there are a couple of instances where, like, the the version that ends up on the album doesn't quite have the same charm as the version that's being worked out, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes the arrangements would either get sort of overly arranged, so the orchestrations would kind of kill it a bit, or the actual album version would be sort of, if it would feel kind of rushed, like Strawberry Fields, which I like as a song, but I found the earlier versions much more pleasing to listen to. There's a bit of a kind of, it feels a bit slapdash on the record. I think Um, that's because they slowed John's voice down in it. Is that it? If you listen to it, it's very, to keep the beat of the music, they had to slow his voice down, so he sounds a bit drunk. Oh, weird. Okay. So they slowed it down, but they kept the pitch, or did they... So the whole I think thing so, down. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have a little listen to it again. I think that's the thing that, that you kind of put your finger on. You're like, ah, yeah, that's what they did. Mm. There's some, the ins- some of the instrumentation stuff as well, like the horn section, for example, is a bit abrasive. It's like the ba 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 Like, okay, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to blow that hard. Um, and the, uh, oh, the Fool on the Hill, I remember, was another one where, like, the the kind of oompa bandy quality of the final version, um, I don't know. I just sort of preferred it more. I guess as just like a song. I guess. So yeah. I know I I I one hundred percent understand the love for George Martin, and I think he was absolutely crucial. Um, but sometimes also like the songs kind of spoke for themselves in a way, and the sort of more simple arrangements. Um, worked a little better in in my opinion you can overproduce now i did you hear the stripped down version of let it be that they released yes yeah because i i think at that point i probably would have liked that more if i'd listened to them both at the same time but Mm. i think i was so used to how the original version sounded that i actually always will probably prefer the original version just for nostalgia um yeah but I think what I think they added a few more to that. The Let it be naked, wasn't it, when it was released? But I think they added a few more tracks to that that were weren't originally on the original Let It Be, and that mm. was nice to, to hear those. But yeah, I think um, when you hear the, the best thing about those anthology albums is that obviously there's a lot of experimental stuff by the end, but right at the beginning, so you get three albums. At the beginning, you get a lot of really early scratchy records from before the Beatles were even a thing and they're really eager and they're really passionate in it and they're really and then you get some live live stuff so they're they're playing live and you can hear that they're just as good live as they are recorded you know because they've been playing it a million times so that's the first album the second album they're all in the studio but they're all stoned so they have to take <laughs> 15 takes of uh what was the song uh they had to take um Yes, it is. I think it is. And they had to take like 15 takes of it because they kept giggling. Um, and then by the third album, it's that overproduced stuff. But there's some really nice ideas working through there. And you get that kind of, you get the songs that they went and sold on to other people. And yeah, some good stuff there. Mm. Laura is completely tapped out at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Have you been following the film? They won. They so. they did it. <laughs> you seem concerned. What's what's happening? Uh, well, oh, look, there they are. Yeah, they're the real Beatles now. What's John doing? Um, 
he's going to explain, I think. With, uh, in typical John fashion. Yeah. Oh, they sped no expense with the production values <laughs> for this one. Why are they dressed like Mormons? I think all of my fawning over George Ellie is because him and I have currently the same hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the chops on Lennon. <laughs> there we All go. All together now. So uh, usually when we um, do these film podcasts, if we have the tie-in art of book to hand, we will re- refer to it. Um, we haven't been referring to the art of the yellow submarine for this episode because I, I do own it and it's shit. <laughs> it's uh I don't know where anyone would be able to find it, but like if you look on eBay or somewhere and you'll see a cover, it's just a black cover with the Beatles, the art of the yellow submarine, and it's a photo of the Beatles standing next to cardboard cutouts of their animated counterparts. Mm. And you've seen the whole book. If you've seen right. the cover. It's just like that photo shoot from page to page and like maybe a couple of paragraphs of blurb here and there. But it's them standing next to cardboard cutouts or, like, occasionally um, little sort of sculpted um, standy figures from the film. It's probably the worst art of book that's ever been made. I'm not <laughs> sure if it was made when the film came out or if it was made sort of when it was re-released. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's, you know, wh- whatever you think the low bar is for that genre of literature, um, no, trust there me, is. it's the art of the yellow submarine. And what a pisser, <laughs> because how great would a proper the art of yellow submarine book be? Oh yeah. Well, it's all in your dad's to... attic, isn't it? So let's go. Uh, let's go around <laughs> your dad's attic. Let's start <laughs> emptying boxes. Maybe that's a bookkeeper pitch on writing, Steve. I know it's yeah. like very after the fact, but there's got to be <laughs> archives and stuff of it somewhere. Well, it'll be the 60th anniversary in eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got Something eight to work years. to. Go. <laughs> We've got seconds until we do the, until we have to pick the next podcast and tell people where to listen and vote and all that lot. So, what are we doing for the next podcast, guys? I think we're going to do a battle of the anthology films, and it's going to be Fears of the Dark versus the Canterbury Tales. Is that correct? Yeah. See, Apple Core. It's a delightful pun. It's cool. That'll do. Followers, share, like, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>